Welcome to BCG and Wits Business School's Conversations with South African Business Leaders podcast, where we talk to key business and thought leaders making waves in South Africa and across the African continent. Welcome to Backstage Pass. Hello and welcome to another episode of Backstage Pass brought to you by Boston Consultant Group and Wits Business School. As always, we are in conversation with business leaders in South Africa on issues top of mind for them. And I'm your host, Nozi Poshabalala. In this episode, we take a closer look at what makes for successful tech startups in Africa. While every tech entrepreneur wants to deliver the next unicorn, the availability of venture capital and other forms of investment will determine if African startups can really take off. And so today our guests will share their experiences and insights to help us understand what it really takes to build a successful startup on the continent. Joining me in studio today is uh, Melvin Lubega. He is a partner at Briga, and is what, uh, which of course is one of the fastest growing early stage VC funds in Europe and Africa with about over 500 million euros in assets under management. And prior to his role at Briga, he was a co-founder and director of Go One, which is a tech startup focusing on on-demand training and resources. Melvin, it's lovely to have you in studio. Hello. No, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Awesome. Let's move on to Alexandra Fraser. Alex, thank you for being with us. Alexandra is a director at Viridian, uh, which is an innovation agency that designs and delivers early stage entrepreneur and investor programs, research and strategy. She's also an angel investor and a startup advocate. Alex, so glad to have you in conversation with us as well. Hi, Nozi. Thanks so much for having me on this podcast. And certainly last but not least in our conversation is Dr. McEdward Murumbika. Uh, he is a serial entrepreneur by description, but he's also an academic as a part-time lecturer at Wits Business School. He is an active business executive and, of course, an entrepreneur himself. McEdward, thank you so much for making the time to be with us. Hi, Nozi. It's always a pleasure. Joining Marvin and Alex, the team. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm going to get right into it. And maybe, Alex, I'm going to start off with you because you've worked with, I think, thousands uh, of startups, if I'm not mistaken. But you're also an angel investor. You also describe yourself as a startup advocate. What is a startup exactly? And how does it differ from other entrepreneurial ventures? Thanks, Nazi. I think it's a great place to start. A startup is typically is a small business, but not all sm- small businesses are startups. Typically, a startup has a piece of technology um, or a disruptive uh, business model, which enables it to scale and grow at a rate um, that is a lot faster than traditional small or medium-sized businesses. And with the advent of technology or innovative business models, um, we're seeing more and more startups across the continent and certainly in South Africa. And um, it's not to say that other small businesses don't play a really important role in our ecosystem, but the nature of a startup is quite different and they require different resources and different types of funding in, to enable them to scale and succeed. I think that's a very good um, definition and a distinction that you shared with us, Alex. And maybe I want to build with, on that with Mac Edward and to maybe Mac Edward ask you the question of, you know, what type of support do startups and tech startups in particular need? Because Alex speaks about them requiring different resources. In your view, um, as you look at 
uh, uh, tech startups and entrepreneurship uh, more broadly. What do you see tech startups as needing that makes them quite unique? You know, picking up on what Alex uh, said, when, when you think of a startup, you are looking at uh, a potentially brilliant idea, which is looking for a business model. Uh, so it's, uh, it's it, it will be a hypothesis, which you now need to figure out how do you scale it up? How do you resource it to that? Because they are located within the technology space, they need access to specialized resources. And the first, of, co- of course, is they require access to, to uh, advanced technologies. They require access to uh, current uh, knowledge uh, and um, uh, uh, up-to-date infrastructure uh, w- within, within that space. What differentiates them from uh, other, um, uh, uh, other entrepreneurs is tech startups that put a very short runway. They have to speed much faster to take off compared to, 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 to other, other, other entrepreneurs. And because of that challenge, they need to mobilize everything they need within a short period so that they can build and scale their venture more effectively. And I think this is where you would then naturally come in, Melvin, when we're talking about the short runway. All of that really sounds exciting. And I suspect it's the thing that excites you about tech startups and why you're investing in them. But tell us a little bit more about that. What do you look for when you are investing in a tech startup? You know, what excites me about technology is the ability to scale and solve society problems at scale, which I think is not necessarily true for non-tech-enabled businesses. And so ultimately, when I think of my journey as an entrepreneur, I want to be the investor I wish I had when I was building my businesses because the ecosystem wasn't as mature at the time. But in the same vein, when I think of the investments I make, it's ultimately the people. I think this is true for all businesses, but more so in a startup, because ultimately it's the founder driving the vision, attracting the talent and executing on the actual plan that goes forward. For me, then the two other elements I consider is in venture, because of the risk capital you put in, you have to be solving a fairly large problem so you can capture very large value. And so ultimately, when I think about businesses, the question is, can this business grow to be a more than a billion dollar business? in five to 10 years time with good cash conversion. And so whilst, you know, startups burn money at the outset and have short runway, the goal is at scale for it to make strong economic sense from a commercial perspective. And so that's something which you mustn't forget as you build a business, not necessarily thinking of growth at all costs. And the final piece is then understanding, you know, is this, is this the best way of solving the problem? Like, do they deeply understand the problem they're solving and do they have a unique advantage in doing so? And so bringing those two together is what excites me the most and ultimately being able to leverage my experience as an entrepreneur when I help entrepreneurs as an investor. Yeah, I mean, uh, you've put some really interesting criteria on the table and, and I'm going to come back to those because we are going to talk a little bit about uh, funding and the availability of capital. But I do want to talk a little bit about a word I've heard twice already, and that is ecosystem. And and so maybe, Melvin, if I can just invite you to quickly reflect on your own journey with uh, Go One, what did being part of an ecosystem actually mean for you? And what is the value that you might have derived um, from being in that ecosystem? And I'm open to you commenting on where the gaps were as well, because it gives us a little bit of an understanding of where ecosystems might fall short. It's so true. And, you know, I believe it takes an ecosystem to build a startup and even more so to build a unicorn or billion dollar tech, tech company. And I think on our journey, the ecosystem has definitely matured over the years. But ultimately, if you think of the different facets which we interacted with. So obviously, the big one everyone talks about is capital, but it's more than just particularly capital. I think when we began, there were very few 
African tech investors investing in early stage technology, which has changed now. But in the same vein, you think about, you know, policy and regulation. So how do you think about your African company trying to grow globally, trying to attract international capital? How conducive is that policy and regulatory framework to enable to attract the right talent, for example, for visas or to attract the right capital, exchange control and so forth? But even more importantly, just advice mentors and enabling advisors in that process I think it's something which one takes for granted, and so I've been very fortunate to be part of entrepreneurial communities. But ultimately, it can be a lonely journey building, and I think often just having that capacity of the human nature in an ecosystem is so important. And I think that's where I found in, I think when we were building, it sometimes lacked early on, because as a startup, you're taking a risk, and therefore you may fail. And I think the risk of failure often meant that people were very shy in sharing or shy in confiding one another around what they were building, where they were at in their journeys. And I think there's something around that vulnerability that I think the ecosystem is missing right now, in addition to other elements which are being worked on now, like policy. So if I want to hire an engineer from the US to come work with my team locally, they may struggle to get a visa, which is not being worked on, but for a long time wasn't true. And so it's multifaceted. Yeah, it, it certainly sounds like uh, th- these are key ingredients uh, for success because, you know, you say it's more than capital, it's policy, it's regulation, it's advisors and mentors, um, it's things like visas that make, you know, movement uh, really practical. But I think what really stands out for me, Melvin, is your comment on the loneliness of the journey um, and how ecosystems can help close some of that and give you real human contact where you can bounce ideas and you can share uh, your journey with others, including some of the wins and the failures. Alex, I believe that you've worked with ecosystems um, which have a range of different players or different ingredients in them, from incubators to accelerators. My question to you is, what needs to be true for an ecosystem to actually be effective? And do we have some examples of really strong, effective ecosystems on the continent? I think it's a really great question. And, and um, you know, Melvin's actually mentioned quite a few of the almost key players which are needed for effective ecosystems. But I think some things that really also need to be mentioned are some of the philosophies around effective ecosystems. So effective ecosystems, I think, are where there's a high degree of collaboration and where there are common goals. So especially if you're wanting to work as a uh, an ecosystem, for instance, on a piece of policy or a policy change. You know, you need to have a common vision, come together as a community in order to be able to work with the relevant government departments and actually pass that legislation. So a high degree of um, collaboration is really important. I think another key um, behavior trait or, or criteria for an effective ecosystem is inclusivity. You need to be as inclusive as possible, um, irrespective of where the background of the entrepreneur, even the type of venture the entrepreneur is building, because sometimes someone starts out building a startup and it actually turns out to be an SMME or service provider and kind of being inclusive because all these different players are, are really important. Um, and also you need to have different activities and support structures for entrepreneurs or for stakeholders at different stages. So whether you just have an idea and you're starting out or you're trying to scale your business internationally, you need the different support structures at different stages. So for instance, in South Africa's got a relatively mature ecosystem in terms of the continent. But when you look at ecosystems like Nairobi and Kenya, uh, Cairo and Egypt, 
Lagos and Nigeria, you're also seeing that um, with a critical mass of startups and successes, you're starting to get more uh, talent moving between startups or even a um, talent from one startup where there's been a successful exit, starting new businesses, uh, people becoming mentors, uh, a successful entrepreneur mentoring other entrepreneurs, or even example like Melvin's example where he becomes the investor he wish he has. And we're seeing a number of entrepreneurs also starting uh, venture funds, which I think is really critical as well. Yeah, I, I mean, this is absolutely excellent. And that really just encourages one in terms of what's possible on the continent. But Mac Edward, before I move on to us talking about access to capital, one of the things that Alex has raised is she's lifted for us some of the common markets we always talk about as hotspots for uh, tech startups. What do you think it would take um, for us to see um, much more markets in Africa coming online in terms of their ability to produce tech startups, how do we begin to ensure that we're not talking, always talking about pockets of excellence when it comes to tech startups in, on the continent, but really just a continent that is ready and rearing to go in terms of what we're producing? In, indeed. Uh, Alex is right to, to, to refer to critical mass. You know, it takes a village, right, to raise a child. Um, when you look up at the African context, don't forget spaces like Rwanda. They, 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 as, as a country, they've made up a, a decision that um, one of the talents they have is human capital. And that's critical. How do you support human capital and developing your youth? Africa is poised to be uh, in, the, in the right space, talking about the new talent, talking about skills development. We have an average age of 18 and so we have the highest number of um, of our demographic and population which are uh, which were born in the technology dominated space uh, in human history so we need to take advantage of that by developing that particular human capital like marvin said it's not necessarily about the the money um post tech startups needs much more than money but resources needs to be front loaded and loaded up in a short period of time that requires very good skills, that requires good human capital, like Alex said, also exchange of ideas, an environment where uh, uh, information, skills, and, 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 and creativity can cross. Technology is global. It does not respect boundaries. And in the right hands, it is a tool to improve um, uh, uh, human condition and economies. But in the wrong hands, it can be a weapon. And we need to address that as Africa because we are emphasizing way too much in building our ecosystems as, 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 as little corners rather than looking up at, at regional uh, spaces which go beyond the national boundaries which we have. Yeah, I think that's excellent. So, we you know, when we hear that uh, Africa is the next frontier for tech startups, um, what I'm hearing you talk about is the alignment in terms of our own demographics and the readiness for Africa to really make the most of this. But there are quite a number of assumptions that need to be true, proven right. And that is young people must have the skills. We must have spaces where we can create and exchange ideas. But you did mention, McWedit, that we do need to front load the resources. And we've been saying that it's not all about capital. But Alex, we know that capital is important. When we say that it's not all about capital, what are the, the core different types of capital that tech startup entrepreneurs really need to be aware of so that they're making the most of pursuing them? 
Thanks, Rosie. Um, so the first type of capital, and because it isn't all about capital, is that I think often entrepreneurs almost feel that they can't start their business without capital. And I think you can do so much uh, these days with very limited capital. So I think actually the most important type of capital for an entrepreneur um, is actually customers, customers' capital, proof that you've got traction and sales because it's so much easier to raise other kinds of capital if you've got uh, an indication that there actually is a viable business and the market is demanding your product. And customers are fantastic because they don't take equity in your business. If they're happy, they come back again and again and keep investing in your business. And then we are seeing a huge array of different types of capital. And I think it's a very exciting time for kind of early stage capital. Uh, we have a growing number of angel investors um, emerging across the continent, not just in South Africa, We've run a program and we've been working with hundreds of angels across 20 African countries. Then we've got a lot of seed funds or early stage funds, and we're seeing a lot of um, early stage funds also emerging. We've got big venture capital funds such as Melvin's uh, investing into tech-based businesses. We're also seeing later stage private equity or later stage venture capital funds coming into the market. We're seeing funds that are also specializing in sectors. But what's also um, interesting is that we see a wide variety of impact-based uh, investment opportunities for businesses that are uh, addressing some of the uh, sustainable development goals and are not necessarily just creating financial returns, but also impact returns, um, which is great. We're also seeing a lot of uh, debt instruments and, and not just traditional debt from banks, but kind of venture debt, revenue-based financing, um, we're seeing lots of factoring companies um, emerging, which is really exciting. And even some of the incubator and accelerator programs are even providing small bits of seed funding and an investment, which is, which is fantastic. And then I think the best investor, yes, they bring money to the table, but I think there's also a lot of intellectual capital and strategic capital that they hopefully can bring to a business and that hopefully will unlock new markets, new customers, um, beyond just the capital that is invested in the business and also provide that support to the to the entrepreneurial team. Yeah, that, that basket you've listed for us is quite uh, wide, um, uh, Alex, in terms of the different types of capital. But the, the emphasis, of course, that you've made is not lost that um, it, capital is not the only way you can get started. And I appreciated hearing the point around, you know, getting attraction in sales, um, seeing customers and being able to evidence uh, the fact that, you know, the tech startup or the idea has potential before uh, you begin to pursue these different types of capital. But maybe Melvin, I can just lift our heads just a little bit um, and to ask you the question about, if you look at the lay of the land in terms of availability of capital for startups generally, and I'm asking you this question because you have not only an African lens in this conversation, but certainly a European lens as well. How are African startups faring? Are we able to attract and uh, the attention um, of whether it's angel investors or, you know, um, uh, VCs or early or late stage, how are we comparing with the rest of the world? 
I think we've definitely come a long way as an ecosystem or as a target area for venture capital. I think, as Mac Edwin mentioned earlier, you know, if you're growing at scale, you often need capital to fund that growth, even if you have good unit economics and you are profitable on a on a, on a, on a, on a client by client basis. And so, ultimately, you do find is many companies do need venture capital. And so, looking at the venture capital lens, um, what's interesting, you know, Africa's come a long way, and we are growing faster than any other region um, year on year over the last two years. I think this year has been a slower year, but that's more functional, I think, of the global macros, the geopolitical situation taking place. But relative to other geographies, and I mean, to your point around Europe, I mean, Europe is slowing down even more so than Africa is. But interestingly, I mean, Africa last year probably did about $6 billion equivalent worth of venture capital investments across the continent, whereas that was probably the equivalent of around Spain um, as a country in terms of venture capital going. And so I think there is a level of underinvestment, particularly given some of the elements that both Alex and Edward mentioned earlier around just the opportunity and the scale of the youth population of the economic growth within Africa. And so um, during these these times now where there's a bit of a slowdown, you are finding less of the mega deals. So you know, $50 million in up deals. But it's interesting, there's a review that Savka uh, announced um, a few months or a few weeks ago, actually, where they were saying, whilst the amount of money going to venture year to year has remained the same or relatively flat, the number of deals has increased. So you're seeing a lot more money going to the earlier stage companies, which is quite exciting to the point raised earlier by Alex around just, you know, so many ways for early stage companies to get capital through VCs and angels. But I think more importantly, what you are seeing is African entrepreneurs many of which tend to have had exposure abroad, expats from international universities and so forth, they actually are able to come back and build at international scale and therefore it attracts more venture capital than before. And so ultimately it comes down to beyond the capital, can you get the right partner who understands what it means to go on that journey? I think that's where entrepreneurs are being more discerning in the capital conversation. Yeah, and you make such a good point about the opportunity in Africa not quite being aligned to the capital that is available. And, and perhaps, um, Alex, where it brings me though is to flip that, um, on its head a little bit and to also ask you the question, what does readiness to receive capital actually look like for those African entrepreneur tech startups who are ripe and ready for, to, to receive capital? What do we see in them that typically would indicate a state of readiness to be able to receive that capital? Well, that's, it's a long question, but I just wanted to also comment with, with Melvin is, um, you know, in talking about the, the changing funding landscape, what is so fantastic is we've got a really great uh, number of resources in terms of mapping the funding landscape, uh, talking about who's actively investing across the continent and, and some great resources for entrepreneurs to look at. So I think that kind of, and, and that brings me to that first point around readiness to receive capital. Um, any entrepreneur that's raised funding will tell you it's not just about having a pitch deck and doing a quick pitch and then, hey, presto, someone gives it, gives you a, write to a check. It's the very first step is that research. So understanding understanding who's in the landscape, who's actively investing, what stage are they investing at, what are their investment criteria. So you need to do quite a bit of research. I think there's also a bit of a psychological element as well to understand do I really want to raise money? Is it something that I'm prepared? Am I prepared to give up control and decision making in my business? Um, because just getting an investor on board, um, creates a whole new set of, um, 
also requirements in terms of managing and running your business, in terms of reporting to investors, having to, um, you know, provide information on a regular basis and really manage those investments. Then also to ask yourself, you know, beyond the capital, what do I really need uh, from investors? What do I need uh, from them to help me really grow and scale this business? And then it's, I think, many entrepreneurs, and it sounds so obvious, but you know, what are you, what are you going to use that capital for in your business and what will that enable and how will it take you to the very next step? Um, and those are kind of some of the, the basics. And then I think it's also about putting the effort in. It's not just the research, but also being prepared for someone to really go through a due diligence process where they kind of almost lift up the hood of your, of your business. And a lot of entrepreneurs stumble at that stage and the deal tends to take quite a long time because once an investor is interested, they don't actually they they are not prepared to then produce all the the required documentation for due diligence, and then I think the process as it as you go on becomes more complex as your business scales and grows. Uh, the due diligence takes a long time, um, and you're you know you you almost finished fundraising and you start almost looking at your next round. I know that for instance, in Yoko, Carl is almost perpetually looking after his, the investors and, and kind of looking at what's a, the long-term fundraising strategy while the other three founders are running the business. And for instance, Aisha Pandor from Sweep South, you know, she said she, she raised, raised her angel round in six weeks, but her series C, it started. And by the end of it, she had a newborn baby and they close the deal. So that kind of gives you the scale of how complex things are in terms of as your business scales and grows. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, that's such a useful uh, way of really uh, lifting up what readiness looks like, but what are some of the challenges and the complexities that might come in terms of uh, that particular journey. I'm going to move on from the capital conversation, but I thought that was a really um, some really strong insights there. One of the things, though, and Melvin, I want to come to you with this next question is, for many entrepreneurs would also then want to pursue um, international markets. Maybe you can share a little bit about what you think uh, really contributed to go on success in the international markets. You know, I wish when we were early in our journey, the sense of entrepreneurship existed because I think there are many school fees you paid on the way there that probably could have been mitigated just by engaging more broadly than our immediate communities. And I think definitely when you think about scaling internationally. And so just for context today, um, go on services customers in over 60 countries and have teams in over 20. And ultimately, we thought about how we expand the business. Uh, probably three key tenets that have helped us get where we're going. I think the biggest of which is culture. I think ultimately, as a startup, when, one in education, human capital, one, we aren't, we, aren't so naive to, we aren't so naive to believe that we know everything and so very vulnerable about being able to be lifelong learners. And so in the same vein, when you think about growth in the business, we say, fine, we know our core, not we do well in other countries, but as we enter new geographies, how do we find like-minded partners who we can collaborate with um, in understanding that ecosystem? So for us, it's been very key to, one, have a culture of being, you know, open to learning and also, you know, having eyes to the climb is one of our values around thinking about the future and growth and being ambitious because our objective as a company and our visions rather to, you know, be able to have a billion learners. And so we have just over 30 million now. And so we've got a long way to go to get there. And so international expansion is key to us achieving that particular objective. But in the same vein, once let's say we have the culture, we have the partners in mind to collaborate with, I think a big part is commitment. 
I think how much of your senior team time is spending in those countries on those initiatives? You know, are the founders going in country and actually, you know, activating those ecosystems? Are you hiring local teams? I think it's been a big part of our success as well. But more importantly, just being intentional about tracking what success looks like. Because ultimately, you can choose, there are many countries in the world to invest in. You can invest in your existing markets as well. And so it's about saying, are we seeing the results we hope for in a particular market? And to measure, you must pay attention. And therefore, it's not about just scattering, but about being very clear and clinical about what I think about entering a market. And so I think one culture, two, the collaboration, I think three, the commitment has been key to our success in the markets we've entered. So those are five C's that I absolutely love. So culture, commitment, being clear and clinical, as well as collaboration. So we're going to call them Melvin's five C's, but I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Yes, indeed. Um, is spot, is spot on because in any case, half the time as, as education institutions, we struggle also to find, um, our case studies and models which are being tested and developed for specifically for the African market because we end up importing, uh, what makes, uh, Silicon Valley cannot be replicated in Africa. Even Silicon Valley cannot replicate itself in any location in America. And yet those are the models we are. So the five C's of, of, of Marvin would be fantastic to put them up to test <laughs> and develop. No, that's fantastic. So we've got to wrap up this conversation. And I must say, the time has just absolutely flown by. And as we wrap up, I'd like to invite you just to maybe reflect on this question. If Africa really is going to be the frontier for growth for tech startups, as we've been hearing, what do we all need to do differently to ensure that this is more than just an aspiration, but really is a reality for tech startup entrepreneurs. And maybe I'll start off with you, Malvin. What do investors need to do differently? I think we need to realize that Africa's 54 different countries are not necessarily the big four of Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, and Egypt. And by doing so, we'll unlock significant value in the process. Absolutely love that. So 54 different countries and not the big four. I love that. Uh, Mac Edward, as academic institutions broadly, what do you think we've got to do differently to really realize Africa's uh, potential around tech uh, uh, startup entrepreneurship? We just need to move from uh, quality education not being a, a, a privilege. It has to be broadened. Access to quality education has to be broadened because that's where that's the first capital which goes up in building uh, 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 the entrepreneurial ecosystem. We need uh, youth which is committed to continuous learning because we're not competing among Africans. We're competing globally. Yeah, quality education, that's not a privilege, but is the norm and that really ups our competitiveness um, in the world. And Alex, you get to take us home as you think about your role as an innovation uh, innovation agency and others who are similar to you. What do you think your community could do differently to really um, give Africa a shot at um, the growth of tech uh, startup entrepreneurs? Thanks. I think a key role is to really create a strong enabling environment and these uh, support structures that can scale across multiple ecosystems um, and really help entrepreneurs uh, or anyone who's aspiring to be an entrepreneur, whether you're in Kimberley or Kigali or, um, you know, Kailicha, it really doesn't, uh, you know, the tools need to be there in order to assist entrepreneurs to, to start new businesses. And then the other thing is really this enabling environment. I think one thing we cannot get away from, whether it's in South Africa or across the continent, is that we have to have 
large scalable businesses, which hopefully can create jobs for our young people and our populations. Um, and that's really what, what I hope that enabling environment will provide that kind of uh, policy, um, structure and security to allow job creation to really flourish and for our young people to, to be economically included. I absolutely love that. And I think my new line is going to be uh, from Kimberly to Kigali via Kailich. That's a beautiful alliterations of case. But thank you so much, Alex. I thought that was excellent as you really honed in on the enabling environment. And that does bring us to the end of this episode of Backstage Pass, which of course is always brought to you by the Boston Consulting Group and Vitz Business School. A very big thank you to my guests in studio today. As always, we look forward to continuing the conversation with you alongside business leaders in South Africa on issues top of mind for them. I'm Nozipo Shabalala. It's goodbye for now. <music>